those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian and uh, lead pastor here. Uh, it's actually been a while since I've preached. Um, we have a uh, three-week-old at home, uh, Emma. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for Paul, uh, one of our elders, who's able to uh, uh, speak. And, and the thing that I love about our elders um, is that they don't just, like, fill in to give me a break. <laughs> they're, they're actually leading <laughs> this church, and I'm thankful for them and grateful for them. And so thank you, thankful for, for Paul and his uh, ministry and a time for me to be able to, not, not like I slept or got a, a break uh, at home, uh, but you know how it is. And so I'm thankful for, for them. And so we, we've used this phrase, and I want to talk about this a little bit, um, that we are uh, kind of governance team um, I don't know, I forget the word, but we're elder-led, governance team-driven, what is it? Supported, thank you. Elder-led, governance team-supported, staff-run, but at least here at Lower Town, we really like to use the phrase that we're member-mobilized. And as things are starting to open up a little bit more again, uh, we have it it built now into our COVID plan. We're able to to have coffee again, but we have to have someone pump the coffee. Um, And so we could use some uh, people to just help out with hospitality. Um, we're going to start opening up the nursery as best we can. We were able to um, uh, get a couple more rooms upstairs. So we kind of have a whole wing to ourselves. And um, so it just feels a little bit more normal. Uh, I don't know what that new normal will ever look like, but I'm thankful for that. And so if you're, if you're new or checking it us out, or you say, man, I, I like this church, or I've, I've been coming for a while. I haven't really been able to do anything. I'd love for you to uh, shoot me an email, brian at hopecc.com. Uh, and I can, we can get you plugged in. Also with the soundboard, thankful for Patrick helping out today. So there's a, there's a lot of things that we can do if you're interested. So uh, that is that. All right, we are in week 15 of the Jesus is Greater, walking through the book of Hebrews. So this is week 15. We're going to be in chapter 10 uh, today. And so we'll have all the scripture on the board, but uh, on the screen, you can follow along in Hebrews chapter 10. And so um, uh, one, one thing, I have, a, I have a question of, have you ever had a job uh, that was incredibly monotonous, right? Where you just kind of do the same thing over and over and over. Uh, I know I, I've had a couple jobs like that where there was one, I worked at a plastic manufacturing uh, company, an injection molding thing. And and it was just for a summer job. Uh, actually, while I was working at Hope, I, I got a job in the summer. And we had with these little plastic circles that had these little tailings. If, and, and so you had, we had these tiny little clippers and we sat there and clipped off, I mean, for a whole week, right? You're, you're working 10-hour days, uh, and we're just sitting there under a little microscope, not a microscope, like a magnifying glass, clipping these stupid little tailings off. And it was nuts. It was just me and, and like three other guys, you know, making $12 an hour to, to sit there and clip these tailings off these little plastic pieces. And the, the CEO of the company comes by, and he, he goes, hey, are you guys uh, ready to quit? And it was like, ah, uh, kind of, you know, like this is pretty terrible. And he goes, yeah, this is actually garbage. We don't, we don't need any of these pieces. I just wanted to make sure you guys were ready to work this summer. And it was like, what? Why would you do that? That was terrible. Um, but uh, nobody quit, so that was good. So he wanted to make sure that we weren't quitters, I guess. It was, I don't know. Thanks, Dad. Uh, lesson learned. Um, another one was my, actually my first job. I worked for a state farm agent in Chicago uh, where, I, where I grew up. And um, it was my first job. I was 16 years old. And all they had me do was um, lick stamps and put them on envelopes. That was my job, right? So making $7 an hour. And I'd lick stamps. That's all I did. Remember you guys had to lick stamps? They weren't stickers. Remember that? And, uh, 
And I was licking stamps and licking stamps. And after like the third day, I was like, my tongue is going to fall out of my face. And I was like, I cannot keep doing this. And then the, the, the agent that I was working for was like, oh, we have a thing for that. It's a little roller sponge and you just roll it on the stamps. And I was like, you got it. That would have been useful information. No, a couple. That's all I did. I just licked stamps and put them on these envelopes uh, for this agent to, to send out. And uh, so I'm not a big fan of monotony. Uh, but today we're going to look at some monotonous things that we as humans do, uh, where that Jesus actually sits down and he finishes it. And he says, we're done with this now. We don't have to keep trying to do the same things over and over. Uh, and maybe these slides are getting a little monotonous, right? We've been doing this every week of where we've been, of Jesus is greater. And I'm not even going to read through it, but Jesus has been greater. He's greater than the angels. He's fully human. He's fully God. He's greater than the, the prophecies that even the prophets wrote about. Uh, he's greater than Moses. Uh, he's greater than any earthly high priest or pastor. He's greater than rest. And he actually is the rest. Jesus um, uh, is greater than Melchizedek. That was a fun one. One of my favorite uh, passages in the scripture is going through Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, and we had this new covenant versus old covenant. And last week uh, when Paul was preaching, looking at Jesus' blood, is greater than animal sacrificial blood. And we talked a lot about blood last week, and we're going to talk more about blood. The gospel's offensive. It's bloody. Uh, it, there's nothing like that, that's, that's offensive, and yet it's beautiful. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And so this week's sermon is a better sacrifice, looking at Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. I'm hoping that we're, we'll be able to, obviously all the passages will be on the screen. We're going to be kind of walking through Hebrews 10, but also uh, incorporating some other pastors of scripture. And so I will do my best not to, not to lose you. Um, and uh, yeah, excited to, to get into this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this passage. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to Brian, don't say anything, don't stop, don't pause, just read, okay? Uh, so uh, if you wouldn't mind, we don't do this a lot, but if you wouldn't mind, just stand with me as I read through this. Uh, you don't need to read out loud with me. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read it. Um, and, uh, and, and this is Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18. It says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, uh, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty of their sins. For those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offering and sin offering, you were pleased. You are not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy." 
The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Thank you, you may be seated. So that's the passage. Now, normally, normally what we would do in the, the style of preaching that we typically do here at Hope is called expository preaching. When we take a passage and we walk through it. This isn't super long, it's 18 verses. And yet I wanna make sure that we don't miss the point. And so I don't want, I'm not gonna do what we normally do and just systematically go through each word and each phrase and each sentence uh, because the main thing, the main reason why is because the author of Hebrews here is just repeating themselves. This might sound really familiar. I feel like we've been talking about this for the last five weeks. Yep, Jesus is the high priest. Yep, Jesus is greater. His blood is more sufficient than the old. So the author of Hebrews is kind of recapping, if you will, And so I'm not going to go through, but there's some main points that jump out that I want to spend some time looking at this morning. So if you get lost in all of this, if you walk out of here and go, what was the point? Jesus is better. (laughs) Jesus is greater. That's the point. Okay. So I want us to remember that Jesus is greater. He's he's greater. He's a better sacrifice. And so let's look at that. But I have three kind of main sub points under this that we're going to pull out of this passage. And the first one is that the law is only a shadow. Wow, that's really creative, Brian. Where did you get that from? Verse one, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. I'm not a very creative guy. And so thankfully we preach expository and I just take it from the text. It's uh, pretty easy. Hebrews chapter one, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. I've mentioned this before, but in our living room, we've got some pictures uh, five years ago, almost six years ago now, my wife and I had the privilege to go over to Europe. And, and so we have a, we have a picture of, of that, we, that my wife was able to take of Big Ben and uh, Eiffel Tower and the Coliseum. And those are, those are great. I love those pictures, but they're not the actual thing. I would much rather go back to Europe and see those things again. Although if I go back, I probably wouldn't really care to see any of those again. I would just like to do the other things. What is a shadow? Right, a shadow isn't the real thing. And this was just some book I found. Hand shadows to be thrown upon the wall. Uh, uh, I, fun fact, I actually do a mean Pinocchio shadow. Uh, so forever in a room where there's a bright light shining on a wall, uh, ask me to do a Pinocchio and I will gladly do that. But there's, there's different shadows, right? And this could be a lot of different things. This could be a picture. This could be an image. It's not really the real thing. A shadow isn't the real thing. Uh, maybe this might could even be a book. Right, where, where if, you, if you read biographies or autobiographies, they might be a really good book about some person, but it's not as good as the real thing. Right? I, I would rather sit down and interview that individual than read a book about that individual. Right? There's a shadow. This is not the real thing. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here about the law, that this law that has been given us, these rules and regulations all throughout the Old Testament, it's just a shadow. It's to point us to the real thing. It's to point us to Jesus. And so skipping just to verse five, author of Hebrews says this, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is a quote here from Psalm 40, uh, six through eight, it says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. So Jesus now saying, he's quoting himself. He's, he reads this passage and then he says, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. 
Now the author of Hebrews, then first he says, that is Jesus, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them. And then the, then the author then puts in his own little uh, um, interjection here. He says, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So God shows up and he says, if you want to have your sins forgiven, you got to do this. You got to kill this animal in this way and throw the blood all over the place. That's what you got to do. That's the law. But now Jesus is saying what well, that's never been the point. It's never going to be the point. Why? Because it's a shadow. The law doesn't work. We've looked at this over and over again in the book of Hebrews. The law never saved anyone. Why? Because it's religion. Religion says, I'm here, God's over here, and I want to get closer to God, so I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give to a church that's, that's, that's doing okay. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to go to church physically or watch online. I'm going to, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be a greeter at the church, whatever it may be. I'm going to do these things in order to get closer. And if I sin, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to do this different thing so that I can be in a right standing with God. That's religion. There have been a lot of articles recently that have been written about people leaving the church in droves. Why? Because it's religion. They're sick of the rules. They're sick of the regulations. They're sick of the hypocrisy. They're sick of these holy days and these holidays where they, they got to do these things and give up this thing. Why? For what purpose? That doesn't get anyone closer to God. We use this uh, phrase around hope. Um, if you don't like organized religion, you might like hope because we're not that organized, which is very true. But I would also add to that, but we're also not religious. <laughs> because if we think about religion of you got to do this to be good, uh, that's, that's wrong. That's not what I read in my scriptures. It's definitely not what Jesus teaches he died, he shed his blood, so we didn't live under the law. I cannot do anything to get closer to God. I can't do anything to improve my status. Jesus did that, finished. With his blood, I have faith in Christ, done. So the law is only a shadow, even though it was commanded by God. I want to go back. There's a lot of passages we could read about the commands, but this is in the law. You want to be forgiven of your sins? This is what you do. Looking at Leviticus uh, chapter, chapter 4, this is the third book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is written to the Levites, to the priests. Leviticus 4, uh, 3 through 6. This is to the high priest. If he commits a sin, then he has to pay a, pay a sacrifice. Okay, so this is about the priest. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect, as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, a tabernacle. He is to lay his hands on the head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it to the rest of the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. And this just goes on and on and on. Sacrifice, killing, shedding blood, throwing blood. There's a couple where he takes blood and he's got to put it on his earlobe. There's all these crazy rules and regulations that priests have to follow by. And then, and then it goes on to the people then right after this in chapter four as well. So God commands that these sacrifice happens. Why? For a sin offering, but did it work? The author of Hebrews is trying to say, no, did this sacrifice actually forgive sins? And not only is the author of Hebrews saying this, but all over the place in the Old Testament, we have prophets and we have kings that say otherwise. 
So I want to read a couple of these. First Samuel 15, uh, uh, first Samuel 15, 22. It says, and Samuel said, he was, a, he was a high priest. He says this, you're a prophet, excuse me. Samuel said, has the Lord as a great delight has the Lord as a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as an obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Whoa, you're a prophet. You, you perform these sacrifices. And you're saying obedience is better than actually the sacrifice that he commands in Leviticus? King David says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay with your vows to the Most High. Again, in Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is when King David, his sin is exposed of adultery and murder. According to the law, he just needs to go kill a bull. This is what David says, you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Hosea, for I desire a steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And now God is going to speak directly through Isaiah in chapter one, says this, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat fed to beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats, Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. But God, what, what you, you just said do this. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. So, and, there's, and there's a lot more that we could go into and we could read. The law is only a shadow even though it was commanded by God, then what's the point? God, why even set up this bloody sacrificial system if it never was going to work in the first place? Last week, going back to what Paul uh, looked at in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, and he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which God has commanded, to you, commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood, both of the tabernacle and everything used uh, in its ceremony. So going back to that Levitical law that this is talking about, the author of Hebrews is talking about. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. That seems like an oxymoron, right? If I get blood on me, I'm not like, oh man, I'm, I'm clean now. Be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why? With shedding of blood, it shows the weight and the seriousness of the covenant that God is making. This goes all the way back. He makes a covenant with, uh, with Adam in the garden, with Abraham, with Noah, with Moses, and with David. Every time that God makes a covenant with his people, there's shedding of blood. And so Jesus, though, shows up and says, yeah, it's not going to be a goat. It's not going to be a bull anymore. It's going to be my blood. My blood. I'm going to call the shot. As he's having this feast, he's having the Passover meal, another time of shedding of blood where they remember annually, Jesus says, no longer is it going to be a lamb. It's going to be my blood that takes away the sin of the world. And then we get to Romans. The apostle Paul says this, but now apart from the law, okay, so there's a shift here. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness because of Christ the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. 
right? We've, we've, that's been the whole point of Hebrews so far. We've been looking at Jesus is, is greater than all the passages of the law and the prophets and Moses scream Jesus. It's all been about Jesus. And now Paul is going to say it here in Romans. The law and the prophets even testify about this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What do I got to do to be good in, in God's eyes? Faith. Believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between the religious and the irreligious. Why? For all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, what happened? What's going on with the bloody sacrifices in the Old Testament? Did it save anyone? Did it, was there sin forgiven? Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We're not getting into Romans. I'm not going to try to even start unpacking the book of Romans right now. But when we look at the book of Romans, the apostle Paul's going, whoa, 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 whoa. How is anyone saved then? How is it? that God can save anyone because the blood of a bull and a goat doesn't work. How does this work? How can anyone be made righteous in God's eyes? In verse 26 here, my boy, Martin Luther, this was his favorite verse in the Bible. He said he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time to be just and the justifier. How can God let anyone into heaven? Because he is holy and good and just and cannot approach sin. So therefore he has to take on flesh. He has to write himself into the story, so to speak, and he has to shed his own sacrificial blood so that he can be just and the justifier. For everyone, for those who have faith. The law is a shadow. Second point I want to make is that his law is a finished work. Um, I don't know if you have jobs or tasks that you uh, enjoy doing or don't enjoy doing. I hate yard work. I mean, I despise it. Uh, it is not my, my thing. I had a guy in my small group just this last week saying uh, that he's, he's, there, you know, he's a homeowner and just kind of trying to keep up with the Joneses. Like, that's how I, how I feel. Uh, we've got people who are, you know, everyone's got a sprinkler system. I don't have a sprinkler system. Or I don't know how to turn it on, at least. I, I may have one. I, I hate it. I hate yard work. Why? Because it's just over and over and over and weeding and mulch and blah, blah, blah. It's just terrible. I just don't enjoy it at all. For why? So my grass is green? Like, I don't care. It's going to be brown. I don't care. Um, I hate it. I don't like it, right? There might be tasks that you do uh, in your daily life that you're just like, oh, why does this go on and on and on? And so I'm not going to, again, kind of walk through the passage, but I just want to put up on the board some, some differences between our human reality and the reality of Jesus Christ taken from the text that we're looking at today. The human reality in verse 1 it can never. Verse three, it's an annual reminder. Verse 11, day after day, again and again, the same sacrifices. It's exhausting. And if you're like me, if you're a human being and you have a pulse, I think we're all in a season of being really tired right now. It wasn't even a year ago 
that myself and uh, other pastors from First Baptist here had a clergy prayer, met on a university drive, and we had a silent march and walked down to the target that was looted and had a prayer after the death of George Floyd. That wasn't even a year ago. Had a prayer time after the, the mass shooting in Rockford back in December. Uh, those of you who know me know that I, I get a kick out of some TikToks every once in a while. And there was a little video that said, you want to understand the United States in 25 seconds or less? And there was a news feed of a police officer that had just been killed. That news story was interrupted after Dante uh, White, right, that was killed. So this news story of a cop being killed was interrupted by a black man being killed. And then that story was interrupted by a school shooting. 25 seconds. Dante Wright, this last Thursday, uh, myself, Drew Zolke, pastor in Columbia Heights, uh, Davis Johnson, pastor downtown, uh, myself and Paul, went to, again, another clergy prayer. And just, I, I read these verses of just a human understanding. It can never, annual reminder, day after day, again and again, same, same, same. And we haven't even talked about covid On the way back, we were walking back to the car and even Paul, Paul mentioned, he's like, man, I'm having deja vu right now. But it wasn't just like, oh, I saw a cat. I think I've seen that cat before, a little Matrix style. Deja vu. Like, man, I, I've actually done this. Again? And I don't have the quote, but remember that quote we've been doing in, in, in Hebrews of the, the pastor who's preaching? And the lights go out and he stops preaching and then someone from the back says, keep preaching, pastor. We can see Jesus in the dark. These are dark times that we are in darkness. So we got to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And so we look at Jesus, verse 12, once for all time. One sacrifice, he sat down. Those are probably two of my favorite words about Jesus. That when he does his work, he sat down, done. Verse 14, he made perfect forever. Finally, verse 18, so therefore sacrifice is no longer necessary. There no longer needs to be shedding of blood. So we look at this idea that he says his work is finished already, comma, but not yet. We use this phrase a lot, and I forgive me, it's slipping me, the theologian who kind of coined that phrase of already, not yet. But the idea that Jesus is seated on his throne, he's finished, he's already won victory over death, he's won victory over the law, that we just need the gospel to penetrate our lives so we can live a life that we want to live in light of his glory and grace. Not that we have to live because I got to be better. I got to do good. He already won, but he hasn't returned. He hasn't yet wiped every tear from his eye. He hasn't yet completely killed death and thrown that into the lake of fire. He hasn't done that yet, but he will. The word hallelujah means 
He won and he's going to win. All right, it's kind of like, uh, you guys know me, I'm a, I'm a Packer fan, Green Bay Packer fan, right? <clears throat> so good. Now I'm a Jeopardy fan. <laughs> but what happens, right, when the Packers are up 48 to zero, I'm still cheering. Woo, right, why? Because they're winning, they're going to win. It's exciting. That's Jesus. Hallelujah. He won, but it's not done yet. We're here in the darkness. We're here in pain. We're here in suffering. And so that word, again, from my alma mater, Maranatha, come, Jesus, fix this. Again, that Jesus storybook Bible that we quote all the time from Sally Lloyd-Jones, he will make everything wrong become untrue. What a day. Not yet. Final point. He has made perfect those he's making holy. Again, really good point, Brian. Where'd you get that from? Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Listen to the, what the author is saying here. Did that individual do something? No. Had faith. What happened? They were made perfect. They're put in a stand with God, but we are being made holy. I'm holy. I'm declared righteous. I'm free from my sin. God remembers it no more. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, and yet I need to pursue holiness? We're going to talk a lot more about that in the weeks to come. But I think if you maybe are visiting now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you might not know this word, but maybe this thought popped into your head of antinomianism or antinomian means no law. Anti in Greek means no. Nomius means law. No law. You want to get Latin, antinomini. <laughs> All right. Antinomian. There is no law. I cannot do anything, right? So, so wait, you're, Brian, you're saying I don't have to go to church? You're saying I don't, I don't have to pray? You're saying I don't, have to, I don't have to give? I don't have to volunteer? I don't have to be a good person? I'm just okay in Jesus? That's antinomian. That sounds like what we're preaching. Matter of fact, it kind of sounds like what the author of Hebrews is saying. It sounds like the exact same thing that the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter five. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase. Law, rules were brought in. Why? So that people are going to sin more. That's what happens with law. I have a four-year-old, right? If you have kids, you understand this. If you don't, you did this when you were little, <laughs> right? Especially my, my two-year-old Jack. He I actually do this. This is terrible. I don't know if it's a good parenting advice. I don't know, but it works with him. I will tell him to do what I don't want him to do, right? Hey, Jack, I want you to eat those crayons. Ew, why would I do that, right? But if I say, Jack, don't eat that crayon, he's eating that crayon. Guaranteed. That's what the law does. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, Grace increased all the more. A lot of sin, a lot of sin, more grace. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Kind of sounds like I can sin a lot and God's grace will cover all of my sin. True? Yes. However, Paul's going to answer it in the very next verse. What shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. That's actually a really bad translation. Moiganito, it's the strongest phrase in Greek to say, no. The King James says, God forbid, may it never be. 
We don't live free from sin so that we can keep sinning so that grace increases. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in sin any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him and through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We could look at Titus chapter 3 where we see this idea that grace is not passive. Grace is very active. And grace says, in Titus chapter 3, talks about grace teaches us. It instructs us. It teaches us how to live. But do I live because I want to earn a spot with Jesus? No, but man, I want to live a right life. I want to fight sin. I want to kill sin because I love Jesus. I love him. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. So now I get to, and not just get to, I want to. I run to Jesus and I flee from sin all the time. No, but it does not change my standing with my God because of the sacrifice of Christ. I just have three gospel applications that I have for us this morning as we close. The law is a shadow. That's religion. If you've walked in here looking for some answer of I got to do this or do that, you're in the wrong place. Because I'm telling you right now, from a guy who grew up in a church that was very law-oriented, you got to do this, be there, do this, have this, don't do that, definitely don't do that, and don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's actually really easy to do. And it makes you think like you're a, you're a pretty good person. That's law. It's a terrible way to live. Why? Whether I'm a Jew or Gentile, whether I'm religious or irreligious, doesn't matter because I'm a sinner. The law is a shadow, a shadow of the greater thing to happen in Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to hear this today. Maybe you just need to rest in the finished work of Christ in these difficult times. Whatever it may be, job loss, could be seen injustices, could be COVID, could fill in the blank. Rest in the finished work of Christ. And then finally, in a non-antinomian way, fight sin. Why? Because Jesus won the victory and allows me to fight against it. Before Christ, I didn't have any way, excuse me, to fight against sin. He had to win the victory for me. And again, finally, because Jesus is greater. Every week at Hope Lower Town, we uh, have communion together. We take these elements, and if you haven't had a chance, they're just in the back right when you walk in, they're just individually wrapped uh, for COVID reasons. We normally would have I don't know if we're ever going to get a chance to do that ever again, but um, feel free to grab one of those. All we would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you say, yep, I've, I've realized I can't do anything except have faith and believe, and I'm here. I'm a follower of Jesus. We would love for you to participate. Love for you to partake of this meal of remembering what it is that Christ did for us. Hebrews chapter 10 is a phenomenal passage to read right before communion, but we've already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. But this idea that Jesus once for all sat down, then we now get to remember the finished work that he did with his body and what he did for us with his body and his blood. And I want to read the one passage before I pray and before the, um, Andrew and John come back up, but this is from 1 Peter chapter 1. This is just how the book starts. To God's elect, to God's chosen 
exiles, to God's elect chosen aliens, to God's found lost people scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And here's this word that we read back in Leviticus and in Romans, sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. According to Levitical law, when somebody had sin or guilt or even a physical ailment and they were healed, they had to be checked over by the priest. Your leprosy went away, great. And what they would do was they'd take a branch, they would dip it in blood and they would sprinkle the person and they would say, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean. And what Peter is saying here, because of the finished work of Christ, because of his body broken for us, because of his blood that was shed for us, is sprinkled on us. And Jesus, now our high priest, looks at you in him and says, you are clean. Let's pray. And we'll have time of communion and worship together. Father, Again, you are so good. God, we need you in these times in our country and around the world. I want to pray for our, our Corinne friends that attend this church over in Myanmar. Just the war that's happening. God, you are good. And we do pray when we see pain and suffering and death and injustice around us, we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And for whatever the reason is, other than you want to see more people come to faith in you, God, we want you to make things right. But until then, would you help us, enable us, empower us to fight sin, to trust in you, to rest in the glory that is your son, and be reminded constantly that the law doesn't work. You despise it. It's futile. So God, I pray as we take these elements together as a family, as a church, would you be honored, would you be glorified as we remember the finished work of Christ as he looks at us and says, you are clean because of what I have done. And God, it is in Jesus' most beautiful and precious and glorious name that we pray, amen.